0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Donversations. I'm your host, Don, and today's guest is Alan Stevens, and he is a body language expert. He is a communication specialist. I love this topic, you guys. I was so excited. Plus, he has the coolest accent ever. And yes, I was like a fangirl or something. I don't know what happened to me. But anyway, I hope you love the episode. Here we go. Hello, it's Dawn, and this is my podcast, Versations. It's a variety show about real-life stuff, and there's something on here for everybody. So if that sounds good to you, let's go.
1: Hello? Good morning. How are you?
0: Oh, hi. Well, it's morning there. Right now here in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, it is almost 4 (laughs) p.m.
1: Yeah, well, it's just going on 7 a.m. on uh, Friday morning. So, what, Thursday there? So, welcome to the future.
0: Oh, my gosh. And you're up so early.
1: (laughs) Oh, I've been looking forward to having a chat with you. So, I was quite happy to get up early this morning.
0: Oh, my gosh. I already want to have you on again. And I haven't even (laughs) started this. (laughs) I love this topic. Like, I have been dying to talk about this. So what even got you into the whole field of human patterns and profiling, all of that?
1: Well, would you believe that I was absolutely dreadful at reading people? I've (laughs) um, been through two divorces, a lot of broken relationships. I've even had business partners over the years who had emptied the bank out. So, um, <laughs> and it was after my second divorce, I thought something's wrong here. I've got to start to learn better ways of reading people. I had been reading people for, oh, when I was uh, 23, I was put in charge of a group of men who were all older than me. My second in charge was 38 and that's where I started with uh, body language and that was back in ooh, 1975. In the 80s, I got involved with psychometric profiling like Myers-Briggs and DISC and things like those sort of programs. In the 90s, got involved in um, NLP. That was after my second divorce, first divorce. And (laughs) after my second divorce, I went, all of those things should have been enough, but I still wasn't doing things uh, well enough. And I thought, well, I need to uh, find a better way. And somebody one day just said to me, you ever looked at reading faces? And being a curious person and believing the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything, I decided <laughs> to uh, go and follow that up. And, you know, everything else uh, since then has been uh, the new history for me. It's been oh brilliant. Oh,
0: my gosh. I love it. Are people so paranoid to be around you?
1: Oh, it's, it's quite funny because even, with, especially when I'm sitting there with people like politicians, you know, if they've got something in front of them, next thing you know, it's up in front of their face. So, <laughs> Just
0: and, and, blocking yeah. their face. I know. I'm, I don't. I would be paranoid the whole time. Like, do you think I'm lying? I swear to God, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm very truthful. I'm an honest person. Oh, that has to be so interesting. Mm. Because, okay, I, I want you to see if you can bust this myth. Can people trick you into thinking that maybe they're an honest person if they're not?
1: I'll try, but because I'm using, well, first of all, I start with your facial features. Now, if you think about it, so the way they work, it sounds a little bit woo-woo at first, but if you're lifting weights, doing bicep curls, for instance, you're going to build your biceps up. We also know that everything that we feel inside, we express outwardly. So in that process, while you're concentrating and thinking, you're going to be pulling expressions over and over again and you're creating ridges and crevices on your face that, first of all, give, me, give away how you like to think and process, not what you're thinking. So it's not mind reading. It's not looking at your character. It's understanding your personality. From there, I then know how to change the way that I like to be spoken to to match the way that you need to be spoken to and the way that you want to be spoken to and treated. And so now I've got that foundation. And then when I'm talking to you, I've got the body language, and what they call micro expressions, little twitches on the face that uh, happen in the in less than oh, a fifth of a second down to one twenty-fifth of a second. They happen unconsciously. So when something happens around you, you respond, and then your conscious mind steps in and shuts it off. And a way of thinking about that, walking down a garden path, and there's something uh, curled up at your feet, the instant uh, feeling you have is one of fear. Is it a snake? You look mm-hmm. down, and then you realize it's not, and your expression will have gone from fear to something else. And so... That is uncontrollable. Uh, there are some people who can really focus on trying to make sure they don't pull expressions, but because it's unconscious, it still leaks through.
0: Can you pick up on the little micro expressions? Do you see that?
1: Yes. And the thing <laughs> is, anybody can learn this. So, As I keep saying, my history was dreadful. And so <laughs> um, with the right training, you can learn this. And that's I always say to people, if you want to uh, sort of start to begin to learn you know, look for things that aren't right. When there's a, um, uh, an investigation going on, it might be politicians talking, it might be somebody is being investigated for something that they've been accused of doing. Well, well I just record those uh, on, the, on the TV and that, uh, but I don't watch them until later on and I'll watch it with the sound off. And you watch people because you'll start to see little uh, changes in their mannerisms. And you go, oh, something's going on there. And after you watch it a couple of times and you really pick all that up, go back and then put the sound on. And then you hear what they're saying at the time. The reason I do it in the two stages is at school, we were told to listen. So our focus is on listening all the time and we miss the nonverbals. But I'll ask you this one, Dawn. How many times have you been speaking to uh, somebody? Everything they've said sounded perfectly fine, but you had that gut feeling something was wrong.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: People talk about intuition, but it's also that you've picked up the non verbals. It was a change in the tone of voice. It was the way they were standing. It's their mannerism at the time. They turned away or whatever it might have been. Um, or they put their hand up over their face at the time. There's so many different indicators. And once you, that's why I put together the facial features. As I said, they tell me the personality. And then I've got the language that I use because now I know how to speak to you in the way that you want to be spoken to. And then I've got the feedback from the body language and expressions that tell me, have I read you right? Is there something emotionally going on? And are you telling me the truth? And so I'm using it not as a lie detector, but as a truth seeker. Because everybody uh, is a combination of four different things. One of them being that everybody suffered, suffered or is suffering. Everybody wears a mask. Everybody pretends they're not wearing a mask. And everybody is a combination of all of their experiences or more to the point how they've chosen to respond to all of their experiences. So we know that when we're talking to somebody, there's always a subject that we can bring up where they'll put their mask up. And the thing is being able to see through that, not to catch them out and say, you're lying, but to figure out why you, you know, what is it you're holding back? What is it they haven't dealt with? Is there a way in which I can help you? So when I read people, it's not to, you know, feel superior or anything like that. Is to connect with them at a much deeper level, and so I can be of better service to them.
0: When you say that you figure out how you want to be talked to or how people want to be talked to, what does that mean?
1: Well, if I look at somebody, I know straight away that they just like the overview. And if I'm more analytical, when somebody's speaking to me, I need all the information to analyze it, to understand it before I can make a decision on what it is they've been telling me, whether I should go ahead with their proposal or whatever if I'm talking to somebody and I can recognise in their face straight away that they just want the overview. For instance, if they were on a mountain peak and they had to go to another mountain peak, they would just want to know, where's the bridge? How can I get there quickly? And so they'll go with the least amount of information to make their decision. Now, if I come in and I'm analytical, and if I was in the same situation on that mountain peak and had to go to another mountain peak, I'd go down the mountain picking up information across the valley and as I'm going up the mountain, decide whether I even want to go up to the top in the first place. So it takes me longer (laughs) to make a decision. But um, I know that I've covered more aspects. But if I talk to somebody, I'm going to talk to them in the way that I I feel, you know, the way I like to be spoken to. But the reality is it's not a matter of treating others as you would have them treat you. That's fine when it comes to respect and uh, that sort of thing. But when I'm communicating, I need to uh, communicate with them in the way that they want me to uh, communicate with them. So it's treat others as they would have you treat them.
0: Because I otherwise
1: they're not going to listen. You know, unless they know what you're going to be talking about in advance and they're interested in that subject, they're not going to listen. So if I want to get their attention, I have to speak in a way in which it gets through to their receiver. So I've got to tune my transmitter into them. It's different to watching or listening to radio because with this uh, uh, the recording we're doing today, people will uh, go into Spotify, find that and virtually tune into it. But for us to get our message out to somebody in particular, when we're looking at an individual, we have to tune into them. And hmm. that's what the reading reading people is all about. It's so I can build a stronger relationship with them.
0: So do you get hired by detectives, uh, police, or wh- who, what is your job? What do you do?
1: Well, I've worked with organizations like Disney Fil- Films and Gillette, I've worked with the Australian tax office and the uh, Australian federal police, but I also work with businesses of all sizes and parents and school teachers. And that is the area that I have a real passion in because if we can help young children to a better life, we can teach teachers how to uh, know how to talk to each uh, child in the way that each child needs to be spoken to. The kids are going to be happier. They're going to be more successful at school because with the being able to read their traits, I can already tell we, before a child gets anywhere near school, I can tell you what hobbies and sports will suit them. Uh, I can tell you whether they're going to fit the education system that they're going into. And then from there, once they get into school, we can then work out uh, from their personality what uh, uh, careers will suit their personality. So now we can steer them into the particular studies they're going to do in their final years to go into a job they're going to love. If they then go in and work and they love that work, They're going to be more productive. The company they're working for makes more money. They're going to be happier. So now we've got less bullying in the workplace. And when they go home, they're going to be happier at home and they're not going to be fighting with their spouse. And now we've reduced domestic violence. At the same time, if they're happy with their spouse, they're going to be happy with their kids because they know now how to communicate, connect more effectively. And their kids are going to be happy. This is why I work in all of those areas. Wherever I'm called, I'll go in and work because I know it's going to go through the whole cycle.
0: Wow. That's such a broad, broad subject though, for you to help teachers because every kid is different and there's millions of them. (laughs) Like, how do you, how do you, how do you break that down?
1: Well, by teaching the teachers, the uh, particular facial features that they can see easily uh, and the recognize those because as we get older, we get more and more traits become apparent. So we start with the traits that we can see in the early days. There's three traits in particular where that show me whether a child can sit still, number one. Number two is whether they're easily distracted. And third, their learning style. If they're a sequential learner where they've got to learn things in, like painting by numbers, it's got to follow an order. Well, I can uh, t- uh, teach the teachers on those three traits. Well, first of all, the child who's got those three traits is more than likely going to be labelled with Asperger's or autism or something like that when they don't have it because we over-medicate and we over-diagnose our kids because they don't fit the system. We Mm. should be looking at the education system itself. And that's where I've been coming in, trying to teach more and more teachers to uh, be able to read the children and then from there speak to each child in the way that they need to be spoken to. And relationships change completely. And I also want to get this into the hands of uh, kids The youngest person a few years back was a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old boy that I trained. The 15-year-old, when I asked him how he was using what he'd learned in my master course, he said, I'm profiling the other kids. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, I now understand why they do the things that they do. I understand why they push my buttons. And I said, what's that giving you? He said, tolerance. So Mm -hmm. already... It was affecting his behavior with the other kids on how he may have bullied them before or may have felt that he was being bullied by them. That was now uh, dissipated. The 14 year old, when I asked him with the cheekiest smile on his face, and I thought, here we go. He said, I'm the school teachers, and I went, and how's that working for you? And he said, Oh, he said, I know which ones to pick and which ones to leave alone. He said, I'm stirring them more than I've ever stirred them before, not getting into anywhere near as much trouble and building great relationships with the ones that I'm stirring. And I said, well, how's your schoolwork going? He said, oh, forget about that. I'm just having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is one of my targets is to get it into the hands of the kids. So it's number one, that you know, it starts to reduce bullying really quickly. It gets the kids feeling more self-esteem therefore less uh, anger and everything else. You know, we've had around the world in schools far too many problems with the kids. There's been shootings there in America and other places and it's it's a case of, well, you know, it's not so much that we've got people who have got, um, are born with problems, it's the way our society is going that creates those problems. Of course, I also run a group called the Campfire Project, which is a safe place originally for men to be able to come and tell their stories because I knew most men didn't know their role at work anymore with gender equality and political correctness. They said, well, we're always on tender hooks worrying about saying the wrong thing. And that causes frustration. And quite often they end up saying the wrong things and that causes problems. So the end result, I realized that they needed a safe place where they could talk, but at home, they said, well, our job was to go out and get the resources. Now we're told we're physically and emotionally absent. How do we go about that? And I thought, right, they need a safe place to tell their stories. But I didn't want it to be a men's group. So I um, brought women into the group as well. I interviewed the men one-on-one where they told me their stories, and some have been through horrific uh, backgrounds, and then brought them into panel discussions talking about masculinity, femininity, pornography, drugs, you name it, we would talk about it. And that's when the women sent me personal messages saying, we love these guys. We've never heard men talk so deeply about their emotions or so wisely about how to improve society. And so with that, I thought, great. You know, they're starting to get interested. And they said, well, how do we get involved? And I said, put your hands up. That's what I've been waiting for. So I brought the women into the one-on-ones, the panel discussions. We've talked about menstruation, menopause, does size matter in the bedroom? No subject's been off the table. And in coming up to five years now and 600 hours of uh, video conversations, we've had no bigotry, no sexism, no racism. The oldest person I've interviewed, 99 years old. The youngest one to run an interview, when he interviewed his father, who's my co-host, Oscar was nine years old. And so with that, we've um, had no disrespect between anybody in those conversations. So from what I can see, it's the only group worldwide that has now uh, actually proven total inclusion and total equality. And so that came from being able to read people and that's, all because I've been, what I saw in business and the uh, angst that people were going through and why it was necessary to uh, learn and teach people how to um, uh, l- read people. And by the way, as I said, learn people, I do. I have to learn when I'm t- speaking some to somebody, if I'm teaching them, to teach them well, I have to learn from them. So I don't teach people, I learn people. I know the grammar police are going to jump on that straight away, <laughs> but when you stop and think about it, Uh, If I just try and teach somebody, I'm really just lecturing them. But if I'm learning from them at the same time, understanding them at a deeper level, and the profiling has allowed me to do that.
0: Well, there's so much division. You know, if just people, I don't know if it's that way there where you are, but at least in the U.S., there's so much political division. And it just seems like people are just out to, they're looking for a reason to bite somebody's head off you know it's just mm. like everybody's full of such angst and you would have thought that COVID and would have changed that but it hasn't it's made it worse I feel
1: yeah well see with COVID I don't the authorities they drove me nuts when they first came out with the term social distancing we weren't socially distanced we were physically distanced and when you use the word social distancing people we were social beings so straight away, unconsciously, that caused so much angst with people. Yeah. When COVID hit, I've never been more social since then because I was online. I was talking to people all over the world. You know, the Campfire Project's got 2,200 people in it. And the people I was interviewing, first of all, were in places like America, England, New Zealand, few people in Australia, but it was mostly overseas. When I, yeah. when I turned 68 in the middle of COVID, I, my birthday was celebrated on seven continents with all the people that I've connected with over those years. And on the 70th birthday last year, it was even uh, bigger again. And that, I don't believe that, um, uh, for me, COVID was a, a good thing. It got allowed me to be able to connect with more people. And by the way, everything's got an upside and everything's got a downside.
0: And it right. depends on
1: which side of it you look at. And I kept on looking at COVID and going, okay, where's the upside of everything that's going on? And so having that positive attitude made things a lot easier for me.
0: Yeah. So did you go back and look at your life and your two failed marriages and realize where you didn't read the body language correctly?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've just written a, um, I've started laying out my different things that happened in my life. And just in bullet point. When I got to under uh, my, my fourth page, <laughs> I realized, <this. laughs> oh, did I miss a lot of things. But this is why, you know, and I won't, wouldn't change any of that. Yes, at the time, I would love to have none of those things to have happened. But they, you know, I am who I am today. As I said before, the fourth point, we are the, the sum of all of our experiences or how we've chosen to respond to those. And because I've chosen to respond to them in a positive way, I'm really happy with who I am today. I'm in my seventies and I'm having a great time. Whereas I know a lot of other people who are my age, who are, who are miserable. As you mentioned before, people jumping in and having fights, you can see it on Facebook every day. As soon as somebody puts a comment up, then people start taking sides. And next thing you know, it's bigger than Ben Hur. Yeah. It started out as a molehill. Now it's bigger than uh, Mount Everest because it's blown out of proportion. This is the emotional empathy. So we go through three levels of empathy that we need to be able to really get to results. The first one is cognitive. We need to understand that some, be able to see that they're in pain. Even a torturer needs that. Because if they can't see that, they're not going to get their jollies by torturing somebody. But the next level is the emotional empathy. And this is where we feel someone's pain. The problem with that is, though, if we stay in that state, we then become part of the problem. And we see it on Facebook every day. Somebody makes a comment, which they've, they've made it. It's out there. It's gone. Next thing you know, the fights are going on for weeks from everybody getting involved.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: next level is the cognitive and the cog- the, sorry, the um, compassionate. With the compassionate, this is where we can go, okay, I can see your pain. I can feel your pain. And I acknowledge that. Now, when, how do we find a solution? And that's what we work on. It's like, you know, if you fell over and you had to break your leg and there's a bone sticking out your leg, the last thing you want to do is go to the hospital and have the nurse go, oh, that's really terrible. Oh, they should have done something about that pavement where you tripped or whatever it is, you know, and carry on about that. No, you just want them to fix the, the bone, get it back in place. That's the compassionate empathy that you're looking for. Men, and this is the thing, they say that men aren't emotional. We are highly emotional. But the trouble is, we're so emotional, we don't know how to handle it. So we shy away from feeling anything. So when our partner is in an emotional state or other people in an emotional state around us, we withdraw because we don't want to feel, uh, feel it. But what we will do is try and fix it. Whereas this is where men go wrong. Instead of saying to our partners or anybody who is really expressing their emotions, hey, that's terrible. You know, I, I, I feel for you. I haven't felt that before myself, but I understand how you're feeling. You know, is this something you just want me to listen to? Or do you want me to fix it? And if the partner says, I want you to fix it, probably one of two reasons. One, you've either uh, mucked it up in the first place and they want (laughs) you to fix that. Or you have the power to fix it. And if they say, no, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Then you know they just want to vent. They just told you, it has nothing to do with you. And if you care for your partner, you just listen. But you've got a different way of listening now. You're not taking their empathy, that emotional side of it on you're able to then be in that compassionate state where you're able to understand them, connect with them, et cetera. And just being there to listen, you there's eyes and ears. That's what we put into the campfire project. When I interview somebody on there, I ask a person a question, like, this is what you're doing today. Tell us your story. How did you get to here? What was, what were the things that happened in your life? And I shut up at that point. I don't say another word. And as long as they're talking, I will be quiet, and that can be anything up to 45 minutes before I actually say another word because now their unconscious mind is talking to their conscious mind. They're getting the best therapy they can get, better than anybody else because their conscious mind knows, whereas a therapist is only assuming. And so they get off that call and they usually say to me, that's the best therapy I've ever had. And I go, well, if you want to thank the therapist, get off the call and go and uh, look in the mirror and say thank you to your unconscious self. you finally listened to yourself.
0: Right. Does it take a while for some people to actually unload like that?
1: Well, this is where the, um, the profiling comes in because I know how they like to be spoken to and I can make that connection extremely fast. And it's usually, they've, they've started just before we've put the recording on, they've said to me, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I go, well, well let's just see where it goes. We'll have a conversation. And within, uh, you know, within a couple of minutes, they're off and running. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the cork that, has
1: popped. <laughs> that's it. And people have said to me, well, what happens? We're going to record it, put it into the closed group in Facebook. This is why we've had no uh, trolls in there and all that, no disrespect, because my job to keep it 100% safe. I was creating a safe place for them. I am totally responsible to them to make sure that happens. So I would uh, start the, uh, the, the, the recording. At the end of it, I'd say, well, how do you feel about that? And they go, well, what happens if I I don't want it shared? Then I'll delete it. And they go, has that that wasted your time? And I went, no, what was my job? My job was to hold your space, to uh, keep it safe, so you could tell your story, to be the eyes and ears that you haven't been able to get before. Job's done. If others get to hear it, that's a bonus for them, and it'll be a bonus for you because I guarantee the comments that you'll get from other people in the group will be so supportive you'll realize that you're not on your own. There's other people who have felt or been through similar things, not the same things, but similar things to you, and they can empathize with you. But because we have constructive empathy, we're not getting into that poor me and poor you type attitude. We're having deep conversations.
0: Have you ever had anybody who has stumped you where you just couldn't read them? You couldn't figure them out?
1: Not really. You know, and people have said to me, Alan, is what you do, is it 100% accurate? You all, are you always right? I said, look, nothing's 100% and nothing, you're not going to get everything right, but I'm yet to be proven wrong. And that's the thing. It's, I don't go in with, a, with any arrogance. You know, as I said, I look at the facial features. That tells me their personality. I don't say to a person, this is who you are. I then get into a conversation with them, first of all, and I get the feedback through their body language and expressions that tell me, have I read them right or not? By taking that uh, time and giving them that respect when I'm talking to them, I invariably get it right because I'm focused on the person. I want to connect with them. I don't need to be right myself. That's, the, that's a beautiful, beautiful part of it. Because as I, you know, if I'm talking to people, as I say, when you're talking to somebody, ask every possible question you can before you make any statements. And then when you've worked, asked every question, possible question you can think of, ask them one more. And people go, you're crazy. How can I ask one more question? I said, simply, <laughs> when you've finished, they've finished telling you and you say, okay, from what you've been telling me, this is what I understand and go through all that with them and then go, have I got it right? Now, if you have got it right, the person is going, to look, you'll know you've got rapport straight away because it's going to be obvious in their face. They think, right, you've been listening to me. You understand me finally, somebody's got me. And there is great uh, uh, connection in that. If you haven't got it right, and by the way, this is even a bigger one a win than uh, having it right in the first place because the person goes, no, you've, you, know, you didn't understand it. Well, t- explain to me more. Now they really know that you want to know the answer. Right. And then as you go through that and you go, right, well, okay, now I've got it. And the, the bond that you'll have with that person will be even greater again.
0: Well, being heard and validated, that's what everybody wants.
1: That's it. We want to feel that we belong, that we have a place, that other people understand us. It's all just part of, you know, as I said, we're tribal beings. It's part of our nature. We're not, you know, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, uh, hermits. We don't, you know, it's only many people who become hermits are people who have given up on life, given up on, uh, they, they feel that they can't connect with anybody.
0: Yeah. You know, the irony will never be wasted on me that we have all of these forms of communication with texting and emails and all of it and all the devices. And it seems like communication is so lacking in so mm. many relationships. It's crazy yeah. to me.
1: Yeah. Well, see the words, you now. there's been arguments about all this. It's like, uh, when I talk to people in business, which is the most important thing? Is it your uh, product and services or is it your um, the, the relationship you build with people? And I get you know, some people saying the products and services. Most people now are saying the relationships. And I go, well, sorry, guys, that was a trick question. I asked you which was the most important. They're both equally important. Mm. What I should have asked you was which is the priority. And the priority is to build a relationship. And so if you don't build the relationship, you never get a a chance to show people how good your product or service is. They won't listen to you because they've got to like you before they uh, will listen to you. And if they're going to buy from you, for instance, then they they have that trust. They've got to trust you. And when I say buy, that would even be finding a partner for yourself because that's Mm -hmm. the biggest sale you're ever going to make convincing somebody to spend the rest of their life with you. That's a sale and a half. (laughs) Well, the next one is with your kids getting to eat their broccoli. <laughs> There's a sale. Everything's a sale in life. That's what people you know, people think, oh, it's, you know, sales are a dirty word. But if you're, if you really understand the person, if you've listened to them, you understand them at a deeper level, then you're, 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 you're a problem solver. In business, we're helping people to save time. We're helping them to save money, to make money. We're helping them to get them the emotional outcome that they want out of it. We're, Helping them to solve a problem they have and we're helping them to remove their worry and stress. If we do that, then we've got a sale. And in doing all of that, it's in the relationships that we build. And then we we're not actually a salesperson, then we're a problem solver. Right. And we're always giving more value than we charge for.
0: I can see why you're a communications specialist. <laughs> <laughs> It's the way that you articulate things too. It's just, it's magical. Plus I love your accent, but um, <laughs> is it true that uh, mirroring somebody's body language is a sign that you agree with them or you have good rapport with them?
1: Depends on how, where it's come from. If you're uh, mimicking it, it's like they'll say to you, you know, if somebody crosses their arms and cross your arms or cross your legs, something like that. Now, if you really focus on connecting with somebody Unconsciously, you'll be matching and mirroring them without even thinking about it, and they will be doing the same thing back to you. I watch. This is why I love going to uh, malls and to big shopping centers and cafes, and watching people interact. You can see the ones that really are connected, because as one moves, the other one moves, and you can see that in that movement there was no conscious thought about it. It was mm-hmm. totally done unconsciously. I know that when you're, you know, you're starting to learn. In you know, NLP and other um, programs, I'll teach you to match somebody and mirror them. If you're on stage and you're, you know, you're asking a question, you say, okay, everybody here in the room, because you know, when I walk on stage, I always say to people, okay, who would like to be able to read minds? Who would like to be able to read their spouse and understand with their spouse better? Who would like to be able to understand whether, know whether their children are telling the, uh, the truth or not? Because <laughs> you know, everyone puts their right hand up because most people are right-handed. So I put my left one up, so I'm mirroring them. And straight away, we've got a connection. But then I also blow that by saying to them, well, you know, nobody can read uh, minds and neither can I, but I can do the <laughs> next best thing. And that's where I then go into the conversation about how we can, uh, with the skills that they can use and how we do that. And I'll be profiling people from the audience as well. Oh, gosh,
0: it's fascinating. So interesting. How long does it take for somebody to learn how to do this, Alan?
1: Well, it's one of those questions, like, "How long's a piece of string?" Uh, it comes down to <laughs> how dedicated a person is, how much they really want to connect with other people. So my target at the moment is to create and train my competition. We most sound crazy to people because when you look at the word competition, if I uh, create them and train them, they're no longer competition, they're a strategic alliance. And what I'm doing is finding those people who are really focused in on their clients and really want to help them. And so that's where I make my money. So if I've got a lot of people that I'm doing that with around the world, I've got a good income. As I said, I'm in my 70s. I don't want to be running around doing a lot of uh, training all over the world again. I'd like Mm -hmm. to be able to just put more resources, resources together and be support to those people. And so that program, then I can all, 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 I'll also own it as well. So I can then go and teach others in other parts of the world. Because at the end of the day, it's the old uh, giver's gain approach. If I can teach other people how to do this, and they can go out and get to more people than I can ever get to myself. And that's what it's about. As I say, what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do, do, do for others and for the community is and always will be eternal. And so, oh, with that, as I say, leave the planet in a better state than you found. It. And that's what's driven me over the last uh, 20 years since my second divorce.
0: <laughs> you add that in. Since oh, second yeah. Divorce. Well,
1: yeah, that second <laughs> divorce was a big uh, turnaround for me because it got me to start looking at things differently. Uh, my second wife had talked me into being a, a massage therapist before we uh, uh, split up. I didn't do much with it, but a few friends talked me into giving them a massage, and I did. The end result, um, they talked me into opening my rooms back up again, and I started getting terminal ill patients coming to me and some of them reversing their conditions. And to me, that was bizarre. I had no understanding what was going on. And through some chance meetings, met an Aboriginal group who invited me out bush. That turned into going out every weekend and starting to learn a little bit about their culture. And by the way, there's a hell of a lot of culture there to be learnt. And I think yeah. I would say that a um, handful of sand on our Bondi beach is about how much I'd learnt of their culture, which would have been the size of uh, Bondi beach. Mm-hmm. So with that, I then, that well, that was the beginning of the campfire project came from that because that was bringing boys into manhood. It was about love, humility and respect. And then later on, I was working with uh, men's groups, which was all about the... Um, Uh, uh, brotherly love relief and truth and it was about helping uh, men to become better men and so everything's driven me down those paths but the the massage side of things that was that really got me on the spiritual journey of understanding that side and let's face it there's a material world and there's a spiritual world the two of them it's like two sides the two different sides of a coin you can't have Mm. one without the other and it's a balance between them
0: Okay. So promote yourself. Tell me, tell everybody how they can find you.
1: Well, the best way to find me is my, through my website. My website's pretty simple. It's alanstevens.com.au for Australia, but Alan, A-L-A-N and Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S. So uh, .com.au that will take them to the website. I'm about to have it rebuilt because I've always uh, had it as, you know, these are the things that I do. Now, it's more focused on the areas I work with. As I said, I work with individuals and families. The second pillar is I work with salespeople to help them to understand their clients more effectively and therefore get more conversions and more sales in a relationship sales and marketing way. And the third one is um, workplace relationships, getting the cultures and things right. But I've got uh, online courses, which you can start to find through that website but I'm all over LinkedIn and Facebook, et cetera, putting posts up every day. So, as I say, when people say to me, what's it like working with you, Alan? I say, well, I hope you like me because you're stuck with me after (laughs) I finish the training. You know, there's always going to be something else I can show you and help you. And if I'm, you know, if I see you're you're the right sort of person, I'm going to want you as um, my uh, competition. (laughs) Right. My strategic alliance. So I'm going to, you know, we're going to have that relationship for a long time to come.
0: Gosh, amazing. Alan, thank you so very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk to me. I appreciate <laughs> it so much.
1: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And thank you for sharing the word for, for us as well.
0: Oh, of course. And I'll be in touch. Thanks again. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks, Dawn. Bye for now.